Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty, and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications programs. Welcome, sisters and brothers, to our new podcast. I'm Jan Hockadell. I am the proud president of AFT Connecticut and the host for this very first episode. I have invited Jody Barr, the executive director of AFSCME Council 4, to co-host with me so I can tap into his experience um, with podcasting because about three years ago, they launched a series called Council 4 Unplugged um, for their members, and I'm a big fan. So welcome, and thanks for joining me, Jody. Jan, thank you. We're glad to be part of this, and thanks for plugging our podcast. <laughs> no problem. So for this first conversation, we want to focus on the state legislature, um, which, as you know, it's been in session since early January. And right now, lawmakers are considering several bills that will impact the lives of our union members, their families, and their communities. And some of these proposals deserve our strong support. But we also know that there's others that demand that we look at them, um, hopefully have legislators modify them, or just directly oppose them. Right, Jan, and one of the most significant are plans to balance the governor's proposed budget that came out last month. It's sort of the blueprint for what we're, we're working with, and as we know, a governor's budget has never passed on the first try, so there's a lot of work to be done. And we also got some of the legislators that are rolling out their own proposals that we're, we're looking into. Right, right. And of course, the state finances obviously have a tremendous effect on all our members' jobs, whether they're in the public or the private sector, and regardless who their employer is. And that alone is enough to make the budget proposals at the General Assembly um, a high priority for both our unions. Absolutely. And another high-profile issue that everyone is sort of debating right now is the regionalization of our public school districts. Right. Um, Proposals from both the governor and the legislative leaders are creating a lot of anxiety and a lot of concern, particularly with some of the smaller communities. Together, our unions uh, have been speaking out to ensure that our teachers and non-certified uh, support staff in the process um, are, are, are considered as well. So to talk about both, where we are with the state budget and the regionalizing schools, we've asked Joe Arasimowitz to answer some of our members' questions. He not only serves as Speaker of the State House of Representatives, but also works at Council 4 AFSCME as their Education Coordinator. So, Mr. Speaker, welcome to AFT in Action. We appreciate you taking out the time to be here today. No, it's really awesome that you're having me here. Obviously, uh, it's a busy session year, and uh, setting up the questions that you already have, I'm sure we'll have a great discussion. I look forward to uh, interacting, I guess, at some level with your AFT members. Great. So. Last week, you attended the first of our AFT uh, Connecticut Regional Legislative Meetings, which we organize for our members every year so that they have an opportunity to talk to their local legislators. Both the state budget and regionalization came up frequently as questions for you and your colleagues. So first, were there any other questions that you heard at that meeting in Southington that surprised you? Uh, tolls. I was surprised oh, right. at tolls. I mean, it was one of the issues, and I could understand it. Most of your members, our teachers in the state of Connecticut, do commute back and forth to work, so that was one of the hot-button issues, too. Right. Joe, so let's, let's talk about the state budget. We understand it's a work in progress, and it began last month with the, the governor's proposal. Um, member leaders from both of our unions and several other unions as well um, were up at the Capitol two weeks ago 
sort of making a, a case for a better budget that gets rid of the austerity budget that, that we've seen at times. Yeah, um, it, it was really awesome to see all the members, uh, not only last Saturday morning, but up at the state capitol. And I think that's what this process is meant to be, that our members, uh, the <laughs> residents of the state of Connecticut, have to take a more active role uh, in what happens at the legislature. Because the budget itself that the governor presented on February 20th, um, let's be clear, there's never been a governor's budget that was first introduced that's been passed by the General Assembly. So it really is a work in progress, but some of the ideas in there I wasn't a big fan of, and I'm sure many of the members weren't. But there were other areas that we need to have a serious discussion of what our priorities are as a state, um, and regionalism is one of them. Uh, tricky area but an area to where I think we can reach some compromise without hurting uh, the essential services we provide in the area of education and otherwise. So, Joe, that leads me to, you know, as being part of CBAC, our members have, have given and given, um, you know, over a billion dollars in the current budget cycle. And our members at this point have no interest in opening up CBAC. There's no desire and, and there's nothing there. But what are some of the alternatives that are coming forward that might help the middle class? Yeah, so uh, one of the ideas that's been talked about is uh, uh, possibly increasing capital gains. Uh, capital gains, for the most part, are very wealthy individuals that play the stock market and have big wins at time. When they have those wins, they are able to uh, pay a tax rate that's deflated simply because of our structure, so we should do that. Uh, but to your point, Jody, exactly, and, and Jan, you and I have talked about this repeatedly, is at one point is enough. Um, and still having the discussion of how many hundreds of, of millions and billions of dollars that the state employees have saved the state over the years uh, still isn't talked about enough. Mm -hmm. For people to even think about going back to the state employees is very difficult without first admitting what they've already done. And that seems to be missing in the conversation. So I understand the reluctance, but I also understand that CBAC, the brothers and sisters that represent and are part of CBAC around the state, have always been willing to have discussions. And that's all we can ask for. I think the governor himself is comfortable with having discussions, not necessarily thinking there would be a lot to gain, but maybe some uh, little things around the edges that we could do. But it also puts it back on us to make sure it's not just the state employees once again, that we have to do structural changes and we have to come up with a tax system that's fair. Right. So another problematic proposal is the shifting of um, some of the state's costs from um, the teacher funding pensions to the local communities. Um, it's similar but less severe than the alternative that was offered um, by the previous governor. Um, but I'm hearing from my members, it's definitely a non-starter, um, for, especially for the cash-strapped municipalities already in their school boards. So I recently got an email from Mark. He's a teacher who lives in your district in Berlin, asking what more can be done so the state doesn't undercut educators' retirement security. And so what would you say to him and other members who share this concern? Um, so what more can be done? Um, I think we have to come up with ways to where the municipalities aren't consistently looking at the state capital for the money to come because it's getting tougher and tougher. <laughs> As Mark probably knows and many people do, two years ago we went into overtime almost by six months trying to come up with four to five hundred million in cuts and, and they don't come easily. So can we start looking at the things that I've talked about before? Uh, a, a local restaurant tax of 1%. I mean, when I go out to dinner, I'm not going to notice 1% on my restaurant bill to go to the municipalities to have them be able to provide something other than property tax coming in. But 
my opinion has always been that as as frustrating as it may, may have been for my boss and my friend Jody with CBEC, why don't we have a municipal employees bargaining coalition to where we get them all in a high quality health care, uh, similar to the state partnership program that saves the municipalities monies. We've seen that these brokers are going to continue to make money and these towns aren't going to go in willingly. But if we can take all 250,000 to 300,000 bodies that are currently in municipal insurance programs, throw them into a partnership plan like we can provide great benefits to the workers and do it at a, a lower cost. Um, but the reluctance to have that conversation is maddening to me. Mm -hmm. um, if you do that and you alleviate that burden off the municipality, and then pensions will take care of themselves and we don't have to look at municipalities. Joe, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the suggestion. Let's uh, shift to another, I guess, hot topic, um, regionalization of school districts. In testimony to the Education Committee earlier this month, uh, Jan actually said she's willing to find some common sense solutions. And here at Council 4, we're on the same page as well. So I guess in this, the moving forward, there's several proposals that are, are coming out. And I guess on our side, it's the details, they matter. Mm -hmm. So what direction do you think we're heading forward in and what do you think could end up in the final bill? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see Jan really, really fired up <laughs> often. Uh, but on this particular issue and a couple others, she has been because she, she, you're right, Jan. I mean, the devil is in the details. And how is it going to affect um, the most important is the teacher in front of the kids? And how is it going to uh, affect your members? I think right now we can definitely look at uh, some of the back office stuff. Maybe it's purchasing. Maybe it's finance. May, maybe it's HR. I know Senator Looney put that map out that had the probate courts and every municipality under 40,000 would go into a larger. Look, that plan is just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but if we can do some of that and then have long-term discussions of what can happen over the next two, three, four, five years, um, local education is important. And having local control over education is more important, as long as we're doing it in a way that's cost-effective for everybody. So the workers aren't constantly pitted against the taxpayer so they can maintain their quality of lives. It just seems inherently unfair. Uh, so I think we start with some of the back office stuff. Um, superintendents, I know, um, are shared in some districts. Other districts, very small, retain a superintendent. I don't know that that's absolutely necessary. But bodies in front of the kids? is that has to be our priority as a state government mm -hmm. and i assume that um this is already being done in some places in maine and massachusetts i assume you guys are looking at that and just so we don't reinvent the wheel and possibly make some of the same mistakes yes uh, i know legislators are reaching out to both uh last i heard is folks felt more comfortable with the massachusetts model they seem to be getting greater feedback but there's some things there that could be improved upon uh, and that's why I say it's got to be two, three years down the road. If we're just to implement it overnight, it would send severe ripple effect into all other municipalities. It just simply can't happen. Right. We don't know the outcome. Got it. So thank you for that, Joe. Okay, so Joe, I have to ask you, how many um, leaderships have you been through? This is my third administration already. All right. So what is this one like compared to the others? I have to say there's this genuineness to uh, Governor Lamont that I truly appreciate. Um, Dan Malloy and I were friends um, prior to him becoming governor, but it was really hard with him at times only because he, he really made up his mind on a lot of issues. And it was probably many years of governing at the local level and then also, um, you know, from his own experiences. 
Lamont is really cool and I'm excited by it because he wants to have these conversations. I can tell you I probably had 12 conversations with him, more of just like throwing ideas out there. Hey, what do you think? I'm thinking about this. What's your perspective on this? How do you feel people react to that? To me, that's refreshing. Like I understand uh, the need for a good leader. But a good leader that never stops to listen to the troops or ask the troops or engage in conversations uh, really is, at some point, a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that genuineness, uh, his love for the state, his strong belief in collective bargaining, more immediate for all of us. Um, and his willingness to stand up for workers is really important. So um, if, if we're giving grades, I figure it's AFT, right, um, <laughs> uh, that, we, that we should probably give a grade. Um, I would give him an A. Um, a plus would be we get the budget done on time that actually increases the quality of life for many of the working people around the state of Connecticut and make strategic investments. Uh, but right now he's on the, the path to an A. But I mean, you guys know really firsthand, I'm sure he's reached out to you guys over the, over the past few months at least, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I know we've had several meetings with him. Um, and let's be clear, they were typically to just talk about win-win solutions or really just asking labor's advice on how something can get done because he realizes that you know we are a partner in this um, and he's not just coming to us for concessions because that that that's not happening um, and I will say as far as a, a grade I, I think we'll we'll hold off on that until we see the marking period's not closed yet well, <laughs> like I said before there are some things in the budget we're not real happy with so once we get those those fixed yeah. then we'll Degree. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think it really is important that uh, uh, we appreciate where he's at. But one of the things I heard him say, and I'm not sure if you guys were there, but I was at an event where he thanked the state employees for right. all that they do for the state of Connecticut. And, and too many times uh, they see the target on their back, but they don't always feel the praise. And for the government governor to come out and say, hey, state employees, I really appreciate everything you do. You make the state what it is. I thought that was an important, important commentary of, of where he is his moral compass is as it comes to the state employees. Yeah, I think that was at the, his his first um, speech. And he actually went so far as to say, you know, through CBAC, we have given enough, almost to the point that we have to be careful now that we don't give any more because there, we're not going to be able to find people that want to, you know, be employed by this state. Yeah, right? I mean, that really is an interesting commentary, and I'm sure you heard it too, Jody. Yeah, and I mean, I think from our side, we just appreciate that he recognizes labor. That is just a fundamental big step from where we were in the past. So just recognizing us having, you know, the one-on-one the -on -one phone calls on a Sunday to talk about something shows that he values our opinion um, and is at least listening. And I think that means a lot to our members to know that they have a voice. Yeah, and he's interested in the impact of things that he's going to do on our members in their communities. Yeah, and we, look, even myself and for the House, Marty Looney and the Senate and the governors, you got to hold us accountable. Mm -hmm. And things are going to get harder before they get easier. The decisions we make over the next few months are going to be really, really tough. Uh, but uh, but again, I can't, can't thank you, you both um, for everything you did over the election cycle, your members, and uh, now it's to make sure we do the things yeah. that move the state forward. And austerity budgets will not, not get us there. It hasn't worked in the past. It's not going to work in the future. No. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot of ground here, and that will help inform both our union's um, member-driven legislative efforts. We appreciate you sharing your time and your insights to empower our members and demonstrate the AFT in action. Anytime. It's really awesome to see you guys. And uh, 
I, I really can't thank AFT and, and its members. Obviously, working from AFSME, I have a, a similar background of being around union members. But the AFT support for many years has been really crucial to me as a legislator getting me elected, but more importantly, ensuring that I have the numbers in the House. Just last year, you and I were sitting around, and we were at 79, I believe, 78 at some points. And we we're sharing our frustration with our inability to get things done. And I said, well, this November election is going to be the turning point. And if we can get our members involved, get our members out there talking to people and recruiting really good candidates, uh, that we have a chance to turn it around. And now we have that chance. And I think to the voters and to your members that uh, we have to live up to the obligation that we're going to do the work. Great. Thank you. So, Jody, I also want to thank you again for being part of AFT's first podcast. It's important for our labor movement to work on behalf of all working people in Connecticut, and you being here reinforces that that's what AFT Connecticut and AFSCME leadership do um, every day. Thank you, Jen. We appreciate the opportunity, and it's a great way to show that the actual practice of the principles of AFT's you and I in union uh, are being followed, and we appreciate the relationship that AFSCME and AFT have for the benefit of our members. Exactly. So finally, I want to thank our members for listening to this first episode of AFT in Action, and I hope they found the conversation informative and interesting, and I hope they'll send us suggestions for the next episode, um, which I think, Joe, you had kind of tackled it in the beginning. I think we're going to be talking about uh, tolls in Connecticut's highways. It's an issue that everyone in Connecticut is talking about, and it will give us an opportunity to dive into the impact um, on our union members and their communities. So to all of our members, if you have any questions or comments, please um, send us an email at actnetreply at aft.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign aft.ct.org. So thank you. That's a wrap for this first edition of AFT in Action. Future episodes will be available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aft.ct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the power of the UNI in union.